0: Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am a story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. I am very excited to have with me as my guest today, Spiros Gensos, let me tell you a little bit about Spiro. Growing up in a trilingual family speaking Spanish, Greek, and English, Spiro was interested in language at an early age, which inspired him to write. His first foray into screenwriting was as a young boy when he wrote and shot a short film of his Star Wars figures defending themselves against his sister's giant menacing Barbie dolls, and he's been writing ever since. A University of Michigan graduate, Sparrow began his professional career in comedy writing for The Drew Carey Show and George Lopez. He then jumped into the drama world with the feature Three Mile Family, a period piece that won Best Original Screenplay at the Ohio Independent Film Festival. He's continued to follow his passion for hour-long writing through the NHMC Writing Program and NBC's Writers on the Verge Program where he has also subsequently been a reader. His web series, Shadam, began streaming the on the WB.com July of 2010. Additionally, Spiro has contributed to NBC's and the WGA's diversity scene showcases and has performed at a Word rama He has been a finalist for the Disney Writing Fellowship for two consecutive years. Sparrow has also lectured at WonderCon and Comic-Con on TV spec writing. In his spare time, he paints and enjoys learning new languages. He is currently in the middle of the second season on NBC's hit show, Grimm. Very excited to speak with you. Very excited to hear about Grimm. So I and Grimm are going to save till later. So <laughs> okay. I want to start at the beginning. Uh, I love the the story of the trigger moment that you knew you wanted to write. How did you manifest this dream from this point forward?
1: Um, I don't know. I think it was, it was often difficult in a small town uh-huh. uh, with parents who work hard every day to put food, clothes, housing for you. And a writer was the last thing they thought they wanted me to be. Right. And I should have been a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher. So there was a lot of time. There was not a lot of time for anything too artsy in their paradigm. Right. So really, I was in the closet as a writer. Right, <laughs> Among right. other things. Uh, <laughs> there was, you know, there was even a dramatic standoff in college where I was taking all these science classes. Right. Um, in hopes to be a doctor someday. And I was doing well, but I wasn't happy with them. Yeah. And then one semester, I had organic chemistry, biology, poetry, and art history. And what? my whole world just kind of opened up and exploded. And I found oh, connections I between the two. And it kind of, but I totally fell in love with art and poetry and writing then. So I think, I you know, I realized I didn't want to be a doctor. And I was doing it just to please my parents. And there was a standoff where, well, if you don't become a doctor, we're not going to pay for your college. And there's a whole thing. So
0: so they knew before you finished college that you were, were not going to go in the direction they wanted.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think ultimately I just had to be who I was going to be. And that mm-hmm. was a writer. And I I really do think there's a genetic component to it and right. in some level. Right, right. Um, but I kept writing, you know, for the college paper. I would write awful sketches that I would never show anyone because, you know, they're awful because you just started off, right. started off writing, and um, stories about my family's immigration to the United States and all these really rich, you know, cultural stories uh, from the family. So it kind of grew from there, and uh, and then, you guys
0: spoke three languages all growing well, up. Well, I
1: spoke Spanish with my mom's mom because she emigrated from Mexico, Great. and then my I grew up with my dad's side of the family, so we grew right. up on up, you know, up north, and I, you know, learned. Greek at an early age, which I've subsequently almost forgotten. I seldom I seldom have an opportunity to use it. Right. Uh, so there were times, you know, when I could speak to my grandmother in Spanish, or I could speak to my other grandmother, you I know, grandparents in Greek. That. So it was it was very rich. I think the words and yes. my and the household.
0: And we talked about a story that I loved when we were preparing for this interview. We talked about the idea I spelled your name without the Z, which <laughs> I the Z, sp- yes. it's his name is spelled S K E N T Z O S. Right. And we and that led you to telling me a story about the Z. So oh yeah. Well,
1: you know, it's no one has a Z in their name. And growing <laughs> up, you know, especially like who is a Z and plus it's three consonants in a row. Like right. nobody does that. Right. And I believe it or not, I used to get teased about it, and so I was very self-conscious about the Z. And I was, as I was telling you the story, it dawned on me that it's really kind of a metaphor for being a writer. Yes. Like all of these embarrassing things, awful things happen to you in your childhood. Not that Z is so awful, but you know, it's an embarrassing moment that right. one day you claim as your own. Yeah. And you claim it in a story, you know, in a tale that you tell or in a pitch. And so I thought that was very Something that
0: you used to be embarrassed about, you now take pride in.
1: Yes. Yes. I take great pride in my I Z. I love <laughs>
0: that. Taking pride in the Z. That's awesome. So with your cultural background, how would you say, like, the, the Mexican-Spanish part of you and the Greek part of you enter into your writing and your voice?
1: Well, I don't know. I think it informs my voice as much as anyone else's personal background informs theirs. Uh, you draw from your own experiences. In my case, I have this extremely loud, emotionally charged family, Right. you know, that and that's the way we are due to our ethnic background, you could say, unless, you know, people don't agree with that. But that's how we are for, for whatever reason. Right. But uh, the pieces I've always written about always seem to be relatable to other people are always these family stories. And I think it's basically because everyone's family is dysfunctional. Right. And it just happened to be that mine was dysfunctional in this particular way, kind of like the checkoff thing we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've seen one of my showcase right. showcase pieces that, right. so you can relate. Yes. Um About what I'm talking about. Because you
0: write from your truth. Yeah. So share us, share with us some of your showcase scenes that have gotten you attention, where you did draw from your oh, life. Oh,
1: sure. Um, for the it was the Writers Guild uh, Gay Scene Showcase i have been doing for eight years now. Right. And I. And then
0: a, you know we're gonna jump into that. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> okay, go and, on.
1: And uh, well, I'd I'd written a piece that. Oh my god! It was my parents. We went with my parents to like a Red Lobster in Phoenix, where they live now. And my dad is kind of like my parents are kind of like George Costanza's parents, right? Only my dad's also like Rain Man, right? So I'm sure this will eventually get around to them if they ever find out what the internet is. Right. (laughs) uh, So we're at dinner, and he starts perseverating about his shrimp because it was like a half a dozen, and so they're supposed to be six, but he could swear there were seven last time, and. There, You know, he's trying to get everyone in the restaurant who works there to agree that, yes, he is indeed getting screwed. There's only six and there should be seven. And he's starting to get vocal about it, uptight. And this whole time, it was like at a time when we were just were not dealing, they just were not handling my whole gayness well. So the showcase piece I submitted was essentially the scene where... The parent, you know, not only, the subtext is, I'm really upset because my son is going to get gay married, but I have to let it out through the fact that I have no control over it and where's my missing shrimp.
0: Right. I, see, I loved that. I thought that was such an authentic piece, and I loved your voice in that, so I certainly recognized how you got attention. What, tell me, I'm always fascinated with, with you know, writers who are gay when they bring it to the page and... The story behind their coming out. Do you, what What was the story behind when oh you first God. told your parents? We don't
1: have time for that. And it's going <laughs> it to be, it be a red band trailer. It, you what, know?
0: <laughs> was it was it a big it was, shocking? It was a big moment? deal.
1: It was like a big Greek tragedy. Right. I mean, it involved you know, it involved hate mail. It involved um,
0: and everything's good now. Everything though? is great now. Oh, but I it love was like that. this incredible
1: dark period right. with my parents. And then shortly thereafter, I won't go into details of, of this. My mom had this illness right. called ITP, and your right. spleen your spleen eats your blood plates, your platelets, and then you start to bleed to death. And it was this horrible thing. She had to be med back to a hospital. And wow. my sister's like telling my dad, "Well, you don't get if you don't want your son, you don't get me." And like, oh wait, now mom's in the hospital. We all have to fly out to the hospital. And my dad, I think, was kind of looking around, and being like, "All right, my son's gonna die. My I don't I abandoned my son. My daughter's abandoned me. What the hell am I doing?" And I think that. Once my mom came out of that, and so right. she's fine. It was a. It turned out to be a very powerful moment. Had
0: and, a unifying effect on the family. Yeah, and actually, it's yeah. weird.
1: It had a lot to do with the reason why I changed from half hour to hour. I love that. And I kind of all the stuff that we'd been through, and I and I think about the things that really matter to me, which are really like soul searching, right? You know, interesting character driven stories. And I had a whole and I was thinking of my dad as like the villain in this piece the whole time, right? And I was like. You know, you're such a tool, you know. And I was like, oh, you're you're not a jackass. Can I say that on the podcast? Yeah, of course. Um, you're not a jackass. You're just an idiot. You don't understand what this is. So it was like we had to educate him in this whole thing. and right. And then that whole twist of seeing someone in a different light like that kind yeah. of led me to pursue more character-driven stuff, which is why... I kind of why I changed to drama.
0: I love that. To be See, honest, I, think, I did
1: not expect to yeah, <laughs> share this this was, much this soon no, in the podcast. I, no, so come on, we're old, we're old friends. <laughs> exactly. It's all
0: out here. That's what that that's what this is about. <laughs> Okay, so let's see. When you first started in the entertainment business because you have quite a background of when you started for drew carey and and then your foray into the programs, the diversity programs, what were your initial jobs in entertainment before you got the Drew Carey Show and what led to your getting the Drew Carey oh. show?
1: I was an assistant forever. Right. This is I, good for people to hear. This is good. And yeah. I, I told us the last time I spoke at Comic Con. Yeah. This guy yeah. had su- said he had su- been submitting for five, six years to Warner Brothers writing Program and never getting any response. And I was like, dude, I've been submitting for 10 years and I've never gotten any response. I think 10-year anniversary is like silver or right? paper. Like they should give me a gift. <laughs> so it is something like you could be just – be whatever job you have to do to pay the bills and keep right. writing. But uh, right. you know, I started in the mailroom, then I got bumped up to PA pretty quickly for an executive, actually, in a, right. an executive office there, and then I got an assistant gig, and I felt like I was there forever. Right. Uh, I came in to work for an EP at the end of Drew Carey and beginning of George Lopez. Right. So I was really fortunate to get that gig finally, and I would get um, I would be able to pitch for. Uh, freelance episodes along with the other assistants. Great. So that's how I got my first break. You know, my first writing credits in half hour was through these freelance episodes.
0: Right. Great. Oh, I love that. Okay. And I, I, I especially love like people, I think people really need to hear the idea of the time that it takes for the dream. Yes. Because I think people too often hear of the overnight success without Understanding the ten years that went into the yeah. overnight success. Yeah, before they, it they happened don't overnight. There is no yeah. overnight success. Yes. Exactly. It, it, yeah, there's not. Like,
1: there's a whole bunch of work that you don't see or you didn't yeah. know, or for some reason the PR is not being right out there that this is taken forever. I mean, maybe there's some. There are some people who come right out of USC grad school, you know, and film and they get a a deal or a pilot right or something, but. Odds are no. Yeah. Like, you're going to have to struggle. You're going to have to write. Yeah. You're going to have to get kicked around You're going to have to, to be show. humbled
0: yeah. by the, the whole process. What – Um. so when you got the staff position on Drew Carey, so what it was, was it like? The freelance. Oh, freelance. The, I was on – That's right. Yeah. The freelance episode. I'm sorry. So the freelance episode on Drew Carey. What was it like pitching for them? Like, were you terrified? Did it take you pitching several times before you got a script? What did that look like?
1: Well, the funny thing was, is that, you know, these are guys and girls you come to work with every day, and you're right. like, their assistant, hey, how's it going? What, Spiro, how's your week? And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, with all the other assistants, like, hey, it's cool. And then you go in there to pitch them, and you're like, oh my God, I have to bring it. Like, they're not my right. friends anymore. They're like potential, you know, investors or potential right. buyers. And right. you're like, oh shit, I have to do this. Like, yeah. I, I can't. Give them crap. Right. So, at the first time pitching, it was incredibly intimidating and like terrifying. I remember shaking and being sick to my stomach, even though these people want me to see, succeed on every level possible because they were so generous. Right. But you don't want to let them down. Yeah. And you know, you want that you have the desire to get that. Yeah. So, you know, I come up with a couple of ideas. I ran a couple by some of the producers and then went and pitched them to the room with the EPs and. They're like, oh, well, we like this, we don't like that, we like this, we don't, you know, the whole thing that they do. And they're like, yeah. come sit down and we'll, basically it was like, we well, like all these, all these ideas, come sit down and we'll tell you the story you're going to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. Which, I you love know, that. you have
1: to get used to anyway. You do. until it's your show, I that's agree. how it's going to be. Every step of the way is like, oh, well, we need this story for our show, so how about you do this one?
0: And that's a great growth opportunity and yeah. i think even facing something that isn't your voice and isn't your idea and being able to integrate yourself within that yeah well how do you yeah. get
1: around how am i going to get into the story right how will i buy it like yes. as the writer how will i feel yes you know integrity and honesty when writing this like yeah. what's my way in
0: yeah and looking at the universality of the concept and how does that connect to your history right i think that is great now um okay so Comedy, all right, so we kind of have a picture of what your home life was during that period and how that moved you from comedy to drama. What would you say, so that was the trigger point where you're going, okay, authentic stories in a more dramatic way appealed to you more.
1: Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I felt like I wanted to, to really delve into character. You know, my whole theory is, my whole thing is you can talk about what type of writer are you, do you do like... Uh, procedural I do character driven and my whole thing is like it's all about relationships right like who we are today is yes. because of our relationship with our parents or our siblings or our lovers or whatever just right. as we influence our friends and you know cousins and nephews and uncles so it's really about relationships and the stuff that i'm interested in writing and the stuff that really sparks to me is stuff that's all character driven that comes from these relationships I how do you salvage them great. how do you hide them yeah how do you you know yeah how do you make
0: how does it surface on the page yeah. how do you utilize what's going on in your own life and add fiction to it
1: Absolutely. in the
0: stories that you tell I, I think that's great what was the biggest difference and like do you still use your humor in your drama
1: I do. And you know, Good. on Grimm, we have like some fun little yeah. twisted dark humor. And right. We have, some, we have some quirky characters. And right. I th- you know, I probably, I think it was one of the things that appealed when I met with them that they're like, oh, you have a comedy background. This is nice. Our show's got comedic elements. And Good. that's one of the things I did like about it. It was like, you can't have dark, dark, dark all the time. It just becomes melodramatic. Right. You know, right. and you want, you know, you, the comedy usually comes best when you don't expect it.
0: Right. And what did Grimm read of yours, spec script wise or pilot wise, I that believe got you the They job? read
1: my fringe spec. Oh, great. And then I think my hospital pilot, my okay. hospital job pilot.
0: Okay. Because nowadays, it does seem like showrunners are reading both. Yes. Are reading a spec script and yeah, a pilot. totally does. To really have a sense of both. I, I think that's terrific. How um, are we now, when you work a comedy writer, did you ever do stand up comedy? Was no,
1: that... I, I read, like, uh, first-person pieces at, uh, like, word I did a right. piece there. Actually, What is word Word-O-Rama? Word-O-Rama was one of those confessional th- things that were around at in, the like, the turn of the century. I right. I know that turn of the century sounds like I should be wearing a monocle and a top <laughs> hat. Right. But um, where you kind of go and say, oh, this birthday thing happened to me or this, um, you know, I did this thing. Right. Um, and I had an interesting story that I think that might appeal to you right. or to your listeners in it in that I – the f- I did this first. I did a read at this first person narrative, right? Um, and it was all about self help books, right? Because I kind of hated them. I kind of right. hate them, right? Right. And I did this piece where uh, I did a. I always thought they were joke these right. books and the lowest common denominator. But I came across one, and I started to read it, and it's full of these ridiculous, over the top aphorisms, right? Right. And, but then I was like, like, okay, I'll just kind of go along, whatever, and see what happens, and. It all happened, like everything in the book book happened, and that's how I first I got my first payment as a writer. Right, was for five hundred dollars for winning this, uh, you know, contest for this screenplay.
0: And that was based on a self help book that you couldn't stand, but you used it for. And it was like
1: ludicrous things, like. So you've been hit by a car and you're in a coma. Well, it can only get better from here. Like, it was just right. ludicrous. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, shut up with your positive <laughs> aphorisms. God.
0: So you can get humor out of that. I yeah. love that. The self-help world definitely has a ton of humor in it. Yeah. Um, and
1: I, one thing that about the self-help books that really do bother me is I don't like the whole – Oprah, you're okay, but you could be better. Like me, feel of a lot of the books, right? Because I think they often take the self out of self-help, right? You know, right. And I think that That's your foibles, your, um, the you know your quirks, the things that you get depressed about or whatever, I. Th- as a writer, that's stuff I need. Right. Like, I don't want to be better. Like, yeah. I don't want to be like a normal person. I want to have my Isn't dysfunction. Isn't that funny?
0: That's the fear. The fear is the, the healthier you become, the less you have to write about. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> that's why I always have to go home and see my parents. Exactly. You
0: know? <laughs> exactly. I can't tell you how many writers I'll say, like, what do you do on your vacations? And they're like, I go home. And I'm thinking, okay, you go home from material. Yeah. <laughs> I, think that, <laughs> I, I think that is great. Now, I, I think another thing that fascinates me about your journey uh, in this business is the fact that you've written short scenes you've written web series you've written features you've written a spec scripts for comedy spec scripts for drama pilots for comedy and drama so tell me like when you look at story is there a platform that you like the most or or what was the reason behind doing so many different platforms
1: I think it was to to discover my voice. Good. I, I think that's always something to be done. You know, as a writer, like you don't ever want to get stale. Um, right. The web series Chatham came about because a a pot at the at Warner Brothers came across a pilot I had written. It was a an hour pilot. Right. And it was kind of superheroish, weirdish, and uh, they're like, "Well, so we have this property that we want to do as a web series, and it's based on the graffiti art of this guy, and he's really cool, but he doesn't really know." anything about how to do this, but we want to, like, bring his characters to life. Right. So we meet with... I meet with the guy, and he's a super nice guy, but, like, just a of, like, this is the villain. He's a villain because he's bad. I'm like, all right, but he, why does he do this to these people? And he's like, because he's a villain. I was like... And it was, like, you know, like, third, like third-grader excitement. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, we have... To, like, what is the motivation for him to do this? Like, what right. happened to him, and how can we tie it into the characters? And so we kind of... I broke a story based on his uh, his animation, his designs right. and then. I turned it in as a one-hour, you know, basically a 60-page script with act breaks that they then divvied up into, you know, three- to five-minute scenes. Right. And then I was—that was it for me. They took it to animation. They animated it. And then it was supposed to be part of the, the actual—the the WB.com's big uh, 2.0 relaunch with all exclusive new material. Great. But that was right after the strike, and it kind of fizzled, so it, I don't think it ever became right. what they thought it was. Right. But it was a great experience, because— The funny thing was is like to this day, like no matter where you are in your career, you're going to be dealing with people who, you know, don't understand the process or don't want to do – if they're your bosses, you need to know how to get their voice into your framework. Right. You're going to deal with people who – He had you know, there will be people who don't write. Right. You know, who are the non-writing producers. Like you have to service their needs even though, you know, they're not part – whatever part of the process they are, you know. So it was a good experience.
0: And now you said you, you kind of use the different platforms to discover your voice. What did you discover your voice is?
1: Um, well, I discovered that it's um, lightly dark or darkly light. <laughs> I like
0: that. That's good.
1: You know, I think that uh, you have to have a self-deprecating sense about you. Right. And uh, I've certainly capitalized on that, especially when writing um you know, half hour more comedic stuff. I love it's usually self-deprecation.
0: As I mean, a device. you can't take yeah. yourself too seriously. Yeah. Ever. Yeah.
1: Because then you're just a bore. Yeah. Like no one wants. I don't want to be around you if you take yourself too seriously. I mean, like, we had the most warped, hysterical conversations while my mother was in the hospital. Right. Like no, who does that? You know, right. <laughs> like right. My, my parents walk around the house and like if one drops something to the other, they start saying. Oh, Zimmy, why you do that, Zimmy? Which is a quote from The Exorcist, whose parents do that. Right.
0: I love that. But I think that's cute. It's great. And I I also love that it's interesting. You come from a family that supposedly didn't support the art because – they wanted more of the professional. I come from that family as well. My dad's a doctor. My mom's a lawyer. Oh, God, And yeah. so, you know, my sister's a lawyer. My brother's a dentist. And then there's me. And then there's me. Yeah. And so it's like, but my, the thing, the fascinating thing about that is my parents have always loved film and have always loved television. And so it has tied us together. Yeah. So well, I the, love. Funny you the, should say yeah. that.
1: Yeah. A really sweet thing is my dad loves horror movies. Right. And, um. Of gross like visceral like any of like those like the slash and burn to right. aliens like anything like he just loves 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 movies that are scary and suspenseful right and he'll come up and be like hey how about an idea for this for your right. show right. so like i got my dad pitching ideas to me I <laughs> so it's love really cute it. yeah
0: see i love that i think that is fantastic i think that there is a creative genius in everybody yeah i do I, I believe do. There, that there there is something in there. It's just a matter of whether it has a chance and an opportunity to come out or not. So, thinking about your feature, Three Mile Family, tell me about that because that seemed to be your first foray into getting attention from yeah the uh, programs.
1: I, I had um, actually some European producers expressed interest. Ultimately, never happened, but it was really. It was like a very Sally Field moment. You Good. like me. You really like me. I but, love um, it. Uh, the script takes place during the Three Mile Island nuclear meltdown mm-hmm. back in 79. Right. And it's quite literally parallels th- this immigrant family's meltdown where the parents want their kid to be a doctor and find out the worst thing could happen, that he's gay, and they kick him out of the house. And all I this- wonder where you got that <laughs> story <I> from. <laughs> so all this happens as the city is being evacuated, and the family has to really reassess what's important to them. I love it. So this family was ripe for change, yeah. And change came to them. Yeah. So what do you do with that change? Yeah. So
0: I especially love your truth being infused within the story, and that being the impetus of what got you into drama and noticed. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. How long did it take you to really start writing from your truth?
1: It took a. While because you know, you're often starting out, I think you're afraid of the truth, or at least I was, yeah. And it when you write about it, it's so freeing and invigorating, yeah. Uh, I,
0: I think that's when you come into your voice, yeah. And the truth when you become less fearful of the truth, yeah, and you actually start turning toward the truth more. I think, I, I think that is what so, so tell us about the NHMC, uh,
1: Works. NHMC program was a really great program I was in in 2009. Uh Uh-huh. This shows you how long it takes to get things done, at least for me, to get, you know, moving along your career. Uh, I had applied to the program with a, this was after I did Rise on the Verge, I applied to the program with a Mad Men spec. Right. Got into the program, I wrote a fringe spec, which has gotten me lots of meetings, and actually I had a, like, bad robot even call me for the meeting, which was kind of like the biggest compliment ever yes. since I'm, you know, such a big fan of the show and of what they produce. Right. Um, and uh, during the program, one of the other, you know, participants was like, hey, you're really neat and you should meet my manager. And I was like, okay. And, and I'm thinking, sure, you're going to share your manager with me. You know, like I thought it was like a Hollywood moment. And the next thing I know, oh, my manager wants to talk to you. Right. Can I give her your number? I'm like, okay. And then the manager calls me mm-hmm. and we sit down for a meeting. She reads my my material. I love your material. Um, I want to rep you. I want to work with you. I want to develop stuff with you, and, you know, we'll do all this. And that was, um, you know, so now I'm, I had my manager from the Gotham Group.
0: Great. Oh, that's and a great management company. Yeah, they're great. really
1: good. And then from there, uh, this kind of steps out of the NHMC question directly, right. but what was interesting, when I was in Writers on the Verge, uh, I applied with uh, Grey's Anatomy, and I wrote an Ugly Betty and that, I think. Um we had that whole round, you, you know, the, the speed dating you do at the end. Right. And I was, know I
0: missed you and Writer's on the Verge by one year. I know, year. by one year. Yeah.
1: Um, it was – it was. we finished, like, right before the writer's strike. Right. So all the agents were like, yeah, your material's great. See you. Like, you right. Know? But I had hit it off with a couple of the agents. Um, and then finally, I, you know, after the whole NHMC thing, I talked – I called a friend of mine at ABC. I was like, I need an, an agent. What do you suggest? And she gave me a list. One of them was – an Agent who I met with at this speed dating right. from Rise the Verge, right? And so I had my manager call, send material, you know, like people across the town were reading me, William Morris and you know, APA, and uh, I think an ICM person, I can't remember, there were several agencies. Right. And APA called, they're like, We would love to meet with him, we love him. And that's how I signed with APA, ah, and that's great. Um, I had signed with them in October, and they had staffed me on Grimm that the following May.
0: Okay, I love that. That's a great story, and it's good for everybody to recognize the journey was long and before you got the agent and the manager. And then you utilized your voice, and suddenly doors opened, you got into programs, and the programs led to you getting representation. Yeah. So that is fantastic. I cannot tell you how many writers ask me, how do I get an agent? How do I get a manager? And it's all about creating heat. And making things happen, and, yeah, and that's what you did. It's, it's funny
1: you should say that because yeah. I was thinking about that. The programs that I were I've been in, you know, especially the NBC one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I having been an assistant there, I know all the executives. Karen yes. has been such a huge you Karen
0: know, f- Horn. Who's talking about? We love Karen. Yes, this we, is a love fest for Karen she Horn. <laughs> is so
1: supportive of her right. writers. Yes, you know, I and totally agree. she, you know, fought to get me in there. I, all you know the executives there liked me. My agents fought hard. I used contacts that I've been developing. Right. Just friendship. Like, oh, cont- you know, not consciously, I will use you one right. day. But people, right. you know, I've known over the past couple of years called in to put a good word in for me because the whole goal is, you know, a lot of the people probably, you, a lot of the writers ask you is, you know, how do you, how do I get read? How do I get a meeting? Well, like, there are a hundred scripts submitted for one position, as you know. Yeah. Out of those hundred, they'll read 10. Yes. And out of those 10, they'll meet with Two? This year
0: we had 2,000 submissions.
1: Oh, wow. For, for eight, eight slots. Oh,
0: gosh. <laughs> uh, I'm so yes. glad I'm not applying I this know. year. <laughs> so
1: to get people to call on your behalf yes. is a big deal. Yeah. Like, oh, if I know you and you like him, yeah. then I'll put him to the top. We'll, we will get to him. We will read him. So. Right. That's how, essentially, it all came together. And
0: Karen's a champion of, of doing that. that yes. Is, and you guys spoke together down at Comic-Con.
1: Yes, we did. How was that? Uh, that was the second time doing it. I right. had done it before by myself up at WonderCon in San Francisco. Right. What is WonderCon? WonderCon is like Comic-Con's baby sister. Oh, that's great. They have it in the spring. (laughs) Right. And it's the size and shape and scope of what Comic-Con used to be back in the day before it became just this huge, you know. Everyone's bringing the shows and everything down there. Right. Uh, So it's got a little different, more indie feel. Great. And uh, we went down there again this year and we did. We did our shtick, right. and, you know, and I was shocked at by the end of the, you know, end of the hour, the room it was pretty much packed. It was like over 300 people that is fantastic. and lots of questions. And it just furthered my belief in uh, wanting to talk to writers, like up and coming yeah. writers, struggling writers, you know, want to be writers. Because oh, I when I was in that position, I would have killed for a free panel at Comic-Con on how to right. break into TV. Right. So it's nice to give back. And I love talking to writers and collaborating and hearing what people's thoughts are You know, I in their agree. minds.
0: I agree. It is a fascinating thing because I think newer writers are so fearful of writers that are working and they think, I can't approach. What they don't recognize is everybody is where they are and everybody had a turning point that caused a door to open yeah. and a dream to happen. Yeah. And I like to believe that no how no matter how high people get, they don't forget where they started and I think going to events like that really puts you back in touch with what a blessing it is to be a working writer.
1: Yeah, it is. You're yeah. I mean, you're fortunate to be able to do what you love to do. I mean, like I yeah. make up lies all day long, right. you know, and right. it's it's like how can I ever get upset? Like about right. anything. Oh, you wanna like change something about my story or my scripts being pushed or like whatever. That's what? fine. Like just go with it, ego yeah. at the door. Yeah. Yeah, it's and that's the best time you have is when all the writers, you know, you work with her that way.
0: Yeah. I love that. Well, first of all, we're gonna take our first break. I, I wanna say I think a large uh, attribute. Uh, so many things that I love and adore about you. And I understand <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> why so many people do. And I think how important it is to be a person who has the hunger and the drive and who also is such a pleasure to be around. Because I definitely think that contributes to your su- success and longevity in the business.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think yeah. that you, some writers have said, well, why are you telling other people how to do your job? They're just going to take it over. Someone's always going to be smarter or better or have more context than you. Like, you might as well be a giver instead of a hater. You know, mm-hmm. just it's great to help. It's great to see people grow because you know how that growth feels.
0: Ah, love it. Love it. All right. So we will be back with Spiro. We are going to take a break. This is Jen Grisanti, and I am here with Spiro Skintos from Graham.
2: You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Crisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision.
0: We are back with Spiros. So let's move into, first of all, I know we covered the diversity showcases, NBC and WGA, and what your scenes were. What do you think about these programs as far as, say, a starting platform for writers getting into the business? And you've been in ABC too. Tell no, us
1: I was you. a finalist at ABC for oh, two years a in a row. Okay, but, great. Uh, I, I, I was like always a bridesmaid, you know? Right, right.
0: I love that. I love that. Um, but I feel like you're a sweetheart of the program like I feel like you're such a part of it, so I think that's the, I think that's great um
1: yeah, so I think the programs are awesome. We talked earlier about getting heat and marketing and yeah. the bottom line for any of these is like any program or contest that you're in or you win right. is an opportunity to pick up the phone and call an agent and be like, hey, I just was a, I just like won best pilot at uh, the Austin Film Festival—they do pilot right. competition now. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like I just got out of you know *Rise of the Verge*, which obviously they would already know about you. But you know what I'm right. saying. Right. Bottom line is that, um, as far as the diversity angle, I think it's great to be able to to for networks to have this pool to be able to bring in voices that perhaps maybe have not been heard, right. or heard as strongly before. Um, it's kind of like you want your room to be as—I would think you would want your room to be as diverse as possible because that gives you more stories from different backgrounds. Right. So that's why I think these programs are great.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, and I I have so many people ask me about Writers on the Verge. What do you mean by diversity? And I say, you know, we are more open to the idea of diversity not being limited to the color of your skin. Right. And the idea that if you can tell us your background that proves that you have a diverse voice. Yeah. And then that is that work.
1: Like, how many people who have grown up in the uh, state system, the orphanage system, you know, yeah. what kind of voice is that? Or exactly. someone, someone maybe who is. Uh, you know, physically ha- has a physical handicap. Right. Or someone... or
0: somebody who's here, who was born here, but raised in London yes. or raised somewhere in Spain. Yeah. And suddenly they're an outsider. And, and what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, yes.
1: uh, so much good art over the eons has always been from the outsider's view. Yes. Whether, you know, it's like a gay person, a black person, a Jewish yep. person, like all this art really reflects society in a way that normally it isn't seen.
0: Yeah. I agree. I agree. And those are the voices that draw us in universally, which is why I think it's so important to get those voices on staff. Now with Grimm, I want to move back into like really talking about the, your experience on Grimm. So tell us, take us into, so your first day on Grimm versus like what you thought then versus what you think now.
1: Oh, um, Let's see. Uh, the first day was walking in, coming up the elevator, opening up the floor, and seeing people standing around. I'm like, this is for Grim, right? Right. <laughs> and and right. I'm meeting all these people. Like Some of our higher level executives who I've seen their names and credits for years, and I've been huge fans of their work, right? And I'm like, All right, it's you and then it's me, right? Like,
0: right, you
1: know, it's intimidating. And it like, is. did someone choose incorrectly? Am I in the wrong room? You I know? think
0: that's so honest. Um, I love that.
1: And I was like, Okay, so I'm gonna pitch a story next to you, and you know, but
0: name some of those names.
1: Oh, uh, we had amazing people. Uh, yeah. I've worked with Naren Shankar, oh, I've worked my with gosh. Thania St. John, great I was Sarah Goldfinger. Um, you know, Jose Molina. Um, wow. I've worked, I mean, and I've got David Simpkins and Richard Haddam. And then like, even the I like- I love the, all in, of those Those writers. are all like the big name writers. Yeah. Sarah Goldfinger, I mean, just like, those are the, always all the higher levels that I've worked with. Great. And that's just in one season because, you know, we had some turnaround. So it was just amazing to hear all, all these people's voices, which you can learn from everything. You can learn something new about writing from anyone at any level. You know, I don't think that it's like, Oh, you're just a staff writer. What could you possibly teach me? Right. You know?
0: Right. How, being a staff writer, and I think this is a good thing to discuss, being a staff writer in a, say, top-heavy type of show when it comes to name and backgrounds and all that, how did you learn to move past the fear of, the say, the icon-level background versus the person Like, always tell writers, recognize the only difference between you and the showrunner or person you're meeting with is their dream was realized and yours is in the process of. So it's really kind of trying to remove the intimidation process. Did you find, like, with some people it was easier than others? Did you approach people?
1: I have to say everyone was... Completely amazing. Really, you know, I was terrified because I was like, "Oh God, don't mind go back into like a room. Is it going to be one of those competitive rooms and right. backstabbing rooms? Because those rooms exist, right? You know." And I, I was always like, the first couple weeks, I was like, "Am I pitching that right? Was that right? Did you think that was a good idea?" And uh, Sarah Goldfinger actually told me uh, the best piece of advice. I love she it. She said, "You make a tenth of what we make if you, one out of every ten ideas." comes you know is yours right then you're doing fine that's great and that really put me at ease that because, you know, is it, fantastic and, and now that i'm no longer staff writer i see like oh i can pitch this story at this level that i couldn't have pitched at that level and i understand you know the how to you the know dynamics the, the dynamic room. and also yeah. like my internal you know like it's a steep learning curve you get in that room and you're like story 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 you know and you start off at zero and you hit the, the you know you start off at zero to ground running like real fast yeah so uh second season is not as intimidating in that sense. Second season is all about like how can I continue to learn and prepare myself to be a higher level writer.
0: Right. Right. That now and talk to us about that like when you think about pitching when you first started in the room versus pitching now, do you have a formula with your pitching? Do you I've
1: tried different things. Right. Uh, you know, it's some and it it sometimes the room requires or the EPs require a smaller pitch and a larger one like just give me a one-liner like right. You know Nick, like finds, a strong Nick finds Nick yeah. finds his dead body and realizes it, it's involved in a series of blah you know blah blah, right. blah. like right. just not even a like barely a log line, you know, right. or just say something with robots, you know you right. know like just you know some of them want that, or sometimes you know, so you All you know
0: right. what the core of the story is yeah so, yeah
1: you know you want to you know as you get up in your ranks pitching, obviously you have to be better at pitching sometimes I'll still throw an unbaked idea because the room is very casual it's like, oh, what about this, like oh, I had this idea about bugs you know you know when you just throw that out it does that pick up to anyone like oh well this happened to me and then you start a conversation
0: right right I like that have you when you think about like any of the other people where you heard a pitch in the room that was like oh my god like that was brilliant do you remember anybody who had a pitch like that? And what were maybe some of the components that you were like, I need to remember that for the future? Oh, there and have I, been
1: a few. And right. it's always like a point where you're like, why didn't I think of that? Because now that you said it, that's in my vocabulary. That's Makes in so my brain. Sense. Like yeah. <laughs> that particular creature or that thing that happened to that person, that's in my brain. Why did I not think of that? Right. And it's all about furthering like how to open your brain, you know, to ideas and you know, that's why I try to do just like idea-generated exercises where I'll read magazines. I subscribe to a lot of magazines because they're easy to flip through and get ideas real right. quick. A lot of science magazines and, and stuff especially. That's and great. I'll just take a pen and paper in one hand and kind of like do, just do headlines. And whatever right. s- pops out in a headline, right. I write it down. And then at the end of, you know, the 20 minutes or however long I'm doing it, you have a list of words or phrases. And sometimes you put them together uh-huh. and they're so disparate right. that when you bring them together, you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, That's like a zombie great vampires, or right? like you know, like you get two yeah. strange ideas together.
0: Yeah, because I think we get inspired by other work. Like yes. whenever I'm writing, I love to watch a great movie or listen to a great song. That yeah. really helps. Add, like, why is this song working? What are the lyrics? Or why did I tear up in that movie? What was I feeling? And what was the universal emotion that they were exploring? And how do I bring that to my own writing? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Like, why did this appeal to me? And how can I do this? Yeah. Without it just being a copycat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I love I love even the truth behind, and I honestly think there are plenty of showrunners who listen to a staff writer's pitch and think why didn't i think of that honestly yeah i do well i think that's i think it i think it goes at every level and it it's all about moving past the fear and believing in your idea and delivering it with passion and very often that takes time that yeah, takes definitely. practice and yeah. i think
1: often too people lose kind of like the forest to the trees type of thing. Like, when you're at such a high level, you have all the stress from the network, you know, and scripts coming in that you forget to think openly and to be creative because you don't have time to, like, sit there and and just, like, look through magazines and come up with, you know, titles that you like or story ideas that you like. And I think it could probably, probably a whole different kind of pressure that I don't know about. Yeah. You know?
0: You know, that brings up something. It's interesting. I had um, coffee with a friend today and we were talking about another friend of ours that's on a hit show... And and it was brought up that this particular writer has been on the show for years and there's getting they're getting a little bored with the idea of. And I said, you know, what's so interesting about that is the reason they're getting bored is because the show is getting formulaic. Yeah. And when the show's getting formulaic, that's when the writers who are bored need to figure out how to break through that in the stories that they're telling so that the show doesn't become boring or formulaic. You -hmm. know, I I mean, I think it's really utilizing what you're feeling and your attitude toward what you're writing to break through monotony when that's hit. Yeah,
1: one of the most non-formulaic shows that always has me... Like, on pins and needles sometimes, yeah. and it's nervous and exuberant is Louis on yeah. FX. Yeah, There's no discernible yes. um, formula. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's just biz- it's bizarre, but, like, everything he says and does is completely, I'm like, oh, I totally get that. Yeah. It's, like, dark and twisted, and that's life. Right. You know, and that's his worldview of life, and I totally get that. And yeah. And it's always fresh. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going to happen now to him?
0: And I think that was, I'm glad you brought up that show, because I think that... I had somebody ask me a question on an interview that talked about the idea of do you think the gatekeepers need to become more open with shows like Louie making it? And I I said, yeah, I mean, shows like Louie is what paves the way for the original voice and for creators and for gatekeepers to move outside the box. I like to believe That the gatekeepers want the hit every bit as much as the creators want the hit. So it is learning that when you go outside the box, great things can happen. Exactly,
1: and I'm sure that like the stakes aren't as high because it's FX and the budget and the ratings. Yeah. So there's that to contend with. Yeah. But I really do believe if you bring. If you develop good material, right, it's like people will come to it. It will be a hit, right. If you develop, if you're developing a derivative of something that was on cable for your network, right, people are going to see through that, and they're yeah. they're not going to come to that.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that was a great topic. Now, looking at um, say for example, when you get your first script, yes, when you so your first script that you got on Grimm was it your first year?
1: It was my first year, and I co-wrote a script. Great. With Akela Cooper, who I think you know. Oh, I yeah. love Akela. I, yeah. We had, How,
0: that's great. Yeah, it,
1: was, it turned out to be a, a, not just tootie my horn, but I think it turned out to be a really, really good Excellent. sample for the show because it was a Hansel and Gretel story. Right. So you've got a highly brandable fairy tale. Right. And you're, we, we're given the story right. based on the idea of the red market, which is where people, in, mostly in other parts of the world— their organs are taken kind of often not at their, not at their request. Right, right. And they're traded. Right. And so we, you know, you pair that with youth on the youth, you know, uh, teenage runaways on the street being kidnapped. And then you have grounds for like, Like really, I watched that episode, yeah. didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great. So, That's great. you
1: know, we had, it was a great opportunity yeah. to be associated with such a great idea.
0: Well, and I think, too, like, when you look at fairy tales, there's a built-in audience already. And right. And looking at... Now, I also think the expectation, when you look at, like, Snow White and the Huntsman and the idea of a different take on something, adding evil, adding whatever, and will that work because the expectation is so high of what's already there. Right. But I also think it it's a great starting point for story. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: so that particular story... They said, like, we have an idea for Hansel and Gretel. It's based yeah. on this article. Read it. This is your story. Let's go do it. Right. You know, so that's what we did. Good. Uh, this season was different. I brought, you know, we, we all pitched, and, you know, we'd already had a season, you know, with the show, and we kind of got the feel for it. So I pitched, uh, they, wanted a, they wanted a character to come back, so I pitched, you know, my take on this and worked right. with the EPs and developed it, and then um, wrote, I actually just came back the other week from shooting it, and I've been in editing this whole week with it, and it's been an amazing experience. Bye.
0: So this one you you wrote
1: It's solo, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they had paired awesome. all of us up the first season, all the writers, because I think they're like, it's a new show, we're right. not sure where the how the voice is going to be, where it's going to go, what we're going to do. So we'll pair up writers and get them together to you know to work together. Right. So this year it's been much more, everyone gets a script type of. Oh, thing so far.
0: that's fantastic. Did a lot of the writers return?
1: Um, we halfway through, I guess, for the back nine of last year, we lo we. Four of the eight writers didn't come back. Right. And they were replaced by two writer, three writers. Right. And then one of those three didn't come back. So we still got seven people on staff. So for the most part, everyone from the How second half— How does that
0: feel? Like what ha- This is actually a good topic to discuss. What happens to the synergy of a writer's room when a large part of the staff is changed?
1: Uh, it's stressful and weird. Yeah, because <laughs> you're like, all right, how by like how many straws did I almost fall into that pile? And where are my new? Where have my new friends gone? You right, know, <laughs> Where's right. mommy and daddy? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so that was it. Was you know sad to see them go? And you know, it was for no, It was you know just it wasn't because oh my god we hate them or anything like that. It was just like these things happen, as you know. Yeah, you well, know. and rooms it- rooms I- change a lot, and that's something that for a first season show I think people don't realize.
0: Right. Well, and it's looking at, you know, Vanessa Taylor touched on this when I interviewed her, and it was so great what she said. I mean, it's just really recognizing you don't always fit with certain concepts. Yeah. And and that's it, and that's okay. Or your personality may not fit with a certain showrunner or whatever. You just may not have, you know, you could be the top, of the pack on one show and then be brought to another show and not have the same type of contribution or the same yeah. type of drive to tell a story. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, it's just recognizing when there's a fit with you, with Graham, what would, at what point would you say you recognize that the fit was just a really good fit?
1: Gosh, I always thought it was from right. my point of view, as good. far as the EPs, I don't know when they decided it was, right. But, right? you know, I had initially had like a twenty week option, so once that was picked up, I was like, "All right, that's a great sign." Like, I never, I never take any of it for granted. Yeah. Like from the free lunch, you know, to the good hours, to mm-hmm. like the great people, like never take any of it for granted because it can all go away for whatever reason at any time. Yeah. So, I'm always like, "All right, well, that's that's great. They like me. So, and if they like me, they want to keep me. I want to give them a reason. I want to reward them for rewarding me. Right. Like, well, how can I come up with more ideas? Odd ideas, interesting ideas." What can I throw on the wall that sticks? And you know, I get my voice. The greatest thrill was your first landing, your first like plot twist or act out, or you know, what about this? Like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, that's always yeah,
0: that first validation where it's like, okay, my voice is really being heard. Yeah, yeah, and that's really exciting. I love it. That is that is great. Well, I love how you've taken us inside what it is to be a new writer on a hit show i love that you've also given the audience a strong sense of the journey and it not being an overnight journey i i I think that's fantastic and and I love that you're on a show where you did survive, where half the staff didn't come back or nearly half the staff. Right. And and you're moving forward and you're operating in a a strong way. And I love your attitude, which I think is a huge part of it. I, I think it's really recognizing when you're at each level that you're at, what can you bring to the table? Right. And it's moving past your fears like you talked about, which I think is a very real thing that every writer feels at some point. When are they going to find me out and pull me out? Yeah. Are, exactly. You know, they're, they're like like you're, you're just waiting for them to say, "Ah, we were just kidding. Yeah. Are, I'm waiting for the
1: day my key card doesn't work. <laughs> yes, you know, exactly.
0: D- <laughs> exactly. And so it, it is really doing everything in your power to be the valuable source that they need. Yeah. You know. There's so
1: much that's not in your control yeah. as you go through life in general or in this industry. Right. You have no control over writer strikes. You have no control if someone doesn't like your material. All you can continue to do is write. Right. You know, and come up and, and then when you're on a show, have ideas and pitch and get involved and take it as far as you can, you know, with your story.
0: What would you say thinking about Graham uh, has been Like one of the pinnacle moments, which you may have already hit with when you were validated and that's a good idea in the act break, versus one of the moments where you were surprised uh, and learned something from an experience.
1: Um, Well, right now, like I said, I'm doing editing for my episode and it's a little long. Right. and sitting in the in the room with the ep's and the editor and going through well where can we cut stuff and how can we do this is kind of mind-blowing because you're almost rewriting a new story right there was a scene that we felt was too slow so then well if you swap this shot with this shot it looks like this is happening faster and it's just magical like it's the whole process of this particular script has been great cuz i've been much more involved than you then you can be as a staff yeah. writer and every step along the way i wrote into the dialogue about a, a tagine, which is a Moroccan baking dish. Right. And I don't think there's ever been more discussion about a tagine for network television in my entire life. We had like a props meeting, it was 20 minutes long, like right. this tagine, this tagine, right. how does this one read? What does this tagine really say about the character? And it was, I was like, oh my God, I wrote that in the script, and this is someone's whole, like for this week, that's the prop person's whole life. Right. For me, it was like a, an action a line blip. in the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you, re- you really get a feel as how things come together on the flip side in production.
0: Oh, I think that's great. I think that is a great. I would say, yeah, I, when I was an executive, watching Aaron Spelling do his magic in the editing room was mind-blowing. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, think, I think editors, I always tell people who have a background in editing that it's such a great background for storytelling. Because essentially, yep. that's exactly what you're doing. So, uh, so I, I love that you shined a light on that. All right, so let's talk about the idea of what, say for example, and I'm going to hit you with a one that I didn't have on my questions. Thinking about the next five years of your career, like what is your hope?
1: Uh, I would like to continue to work. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> uh, that. Oh, you know, I have. Uh, I'm in the second year of a three-year deal for the show. If the show goes for it's their option, obviously. Great. And I would love to continue on the show for as long as it's a fun, viable, you know, uh, production and that they want me, you know, eventually I'll want to develop and, you know, run my own shows down the line. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think that's part of the whole process of writing pilots is trying to find, well, how's my voice going to be in a pilot and how will this, how can this, I can sustain this voice through five years on this particular pilot.
0: Yeah. And that's what you're learning now. Because you're watching somebody else do that, yep, so you're, the ground at, floor you're in been... a better seat to be able to see how it's done.
1: Yeah, it's been amazing.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's great. Thinking, all right. So let's see. With regard, okay, cliffs. I do want to talk about this. Did you ever jump off any cliffs in your career? So to say, in the process of getting staff. If so, tell us about this.
1: Uh, I think I should talk to you about. And this covers a couple of different areas yeah. that I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Is that uh early on, I had a career – I had an agent when I was a uh, an assistant at, you know, um, George Lopez. And right. And it was not a good match, and it did not work out well, and it was really bad. Like, they, they kept calling me saying, where's your material? We can't find it. So I was like, that's never a good <laughs>
2: sign. Right.
1: But the whole reason they signed me was because I went out – I guess you could say I went out on a cliff uh, of sorts where – I had written a short piece that was intended to be uh, produced and directed right. about my dating life because I was single. Right. And you know, I it was like, all right, this guy's really nice, but he's a junkie. You know, like, or this guy is not as smart as I want him to be, or this guy's got great eyes, but he's drooling. And you know, like this this whole thing. So, and I had submitted to the agent this short piece and my two and a half men spec. Yeah. And he called me for a meeting. He laid down the Turn Off Men spec. He's like, This is a really good spec. And then he laid down the other spec and he's like, What on earth is this? And the title of the spec was Frankenfaggot. Right. So <laughs> I was like, Well, this is, you wanted something based on real life. This is based on my life. He's like, You chop people up? I was like, No, like, this is how awful it is in the dating pool. Have you not been dating? Do you not know what it's like out I there?
0: I love it. That's great.
1: And I think that was really kind of stepping off. Yeah, uh, a cliff in a, for a couple ways. Yeah, you never I people definitely are. think that. People was. so think inside the box, and then they say, "Think outside the box," and you bring them something outside the box, and they're like, "Oh, this is outside the box." Yes. But we want something outside the box. Yeah, so, I think
0: that's a great example. I like that. I like that, and I, it is also defending why you write what you write, and, yeah. and really understanding where it's coming from. Uh, it and and also recognizing the fear in the person who's looking at that, right. and yeah. So I think that, that is a really interesting thing. All right, we, we did hit on a little bit. How can writers build longevity into their career?
1: First and foremost, you have to write, and you have yeah. to be able to provide ideas for people on a show. You need to be collaborative, and you're working with other people. You um, need to find new ways to push yourself so you don't, so you don't get stagnant, and you're always aware of what's on the air, what's pushing the envelope. We talked about Louie, yeah. um, Game of Thrones. Like, yes. you know, there's a marketing component about your longevity, and there's also just being a good writer. Right. Like, knowing l- what your talents are so you can really capitalize on them. Yeah. Essentially, you have to bring interesting characters, well-written, in an exciting dynamic to keep getting jobs.
0: Uh, yep. I think that's great advice. Looking at uh, gold nuggets that you've learned along the way from other writers, have you had mentors?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have had a really great mentor in my – I had a UCLA writing instructor mm-hmm. who's a feature writer. And he has, like, always cared about me, like, when no one else did, like, when no agents oh. would read me and no yeah. one gave me notes and no one cared. He was, he's just been amazing. That's great. And that's been really, you know, that's uh, huge. great. I mean, Karen yeah. Horn's been an amazing yes. mentor and friend. You know, even, like, the writers who are on the show, like, I consider them all mentors because it's just such an, a learning experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is great. So from those mentors, now you talked about one uh, tool or one um, piece of advice that Sarah gave you. Were there any gold nuggets that that you, or did you learn on your own any gold nuggets from maybe doing something wrong and then doing it right? W- what advice would you have for other writers as well, far
1: as... Well, I will, I'll put it, phrase it this way. If I were to go back in time yes. and tell my young writer self, yes. I would say, oh, hold on, it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Right. <laughs> because right. it is. Like you have it's difficult. There's so much out of your control that we discuss and right. you just have to want it. Like yeah. I really do believe that people who, you know, keep you, you write because it's in your blood. Right. You know, it's part of your DNA. Yes. And just because you're Not getting paid for it doesn't mean that you're not a good writer. Right. You know, it's so easy. It's not like we're accountants. Oh, I'll go be an accountant here. Then I'll get fired and I'll go be an accountant here. Like, you would really attach your ability to write to your self-esteem. Yes. In a way that I don't think any other industry or um, talent does. Like any artist, it's like your self-esteem. Yeah. You know, I didn't work for like four years as a writer. Yeah. And all the time, all the people around me who I know, they're like, okay, going up in their career, doing really well. And in your head, you're like, oh, my God, you're such a loser. Everyone else is doing really well, and you're not. And you haven't written anything, and what's wrong with you? And you just have to keep at it. Yeah. You know, it's hard to write in a vacuum. Yeah. And that's why when you finally get an agent or get someone to read your script, even if you have to pay for it. Right, You know, right. get first getting started, you crave that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you want it, you're going to want it forever. Yeah. So you just have to keep doing it. And I think most importantly what I say to when I'm lecturing about it is, just because you're not getting paid as a writer right now doesn't make you a writer. If you go, it doesn't not make you a writer. If you go home after you're 9 to 5 and you put the kids to bed and you're writing, you're a writer.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. You may not be a paid writer. Yeah.
1: You know, like if your goal is to write, you're writing. If your goal is to be like a highly paid writer, you shouldn't be in it for the money even though it is very, can be very lucrative. Yeah. You want to be in it because you love writing. It's yeah. certainly not a fast way to make money. Yeah. But, you know, if you are a writer, when you write. Yeah. I think that's great.
0: Yay! I want to thank you so much for joining us. I I think you you have really brought up a lot of great and valuable information for people wanting to navigate their way to that first job and what it is to go from the first year of a hit show to the second year of a hit show. I, I want to thank you for sharing all of that. That's oh, wonderful. thanks for
1: having me. I'm just I'm thrilled to be able to help out in any way. And I also want to say that I really do love my parents, so I don't want anyone to think I don't. Oh, no. <laughs> Especially my parents when they listen. No, no. no.
0: <laughs> I think our family is our fuel. Yes. So that's where story comes from. Yeah. And really pulling that apart and accessing that, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Is what makes you a great writer?
1: I think to the ability to enjoy your family through all the ups and downs is, you know, good. Yes. Like I totally enjoy their insanity and the good times and the bad. Being times. on a
0: writing staff is reproducing the dysfunctional family. Yes. So it- <laughs> There's not a
1: story that I haven't pitched that somehow is not related to your personal life. Yes. You know.
0: Yeah, and that's all part of it. I think I always used to say to writers, like, it's like the writer's room is recreating. The mom and dad that you, you feel like you'll never really hit their expectations and <laughs> the you know it, it's like it's all but it's all a gift yeah, it's all it's an really opportunity great. to utilize your voice to f- have therapy through yeah. your childhood and really deliver it in a way that can mean something very valuable for the viewer
1: yeah yeah definitely I totally agree
0: that is great Alright, I want to thank you for joining us and let me give you some updates. Let's see, upcoming events. There I am doing a webinar for the writer store on September 26th that is called Telling and Selling Your Pilot Script. It will be in the afternoon. So the link is not up yet, but check the writer's store and I will also have it on my website under events and seminars as soon as I get the link and uh, I'm looking forward to that that is my event coming up in the immediate future I want to thank all of you for joining us and I want to thank Spiro and this has been great this is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy Inc and StoryWise Podcast
2: You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.